This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Uh, today's guest, Mike Ligori, is the CEO of Live Your Truth Media, a content production company that helps brands and companies utilize the power of podcasting to build deeply connected audiences. He has worked with some amazing companies like Huffington Post, T-Mobile, and Toyota. In addition to this work, Mike published the memoir, The Sandbox, Stories of Human Spirit and War. His story of military service and reflections have been featured in the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, San Jose Mercury News, among other places, uh, currently lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, and he recently published The Road Ahead and Miles Behind, a story of healing and redemption between father and son, a really good read about uh, a road trip he took with his dad that probably most of us need to. So, Mike, man, thanks for being here. Jamie, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you. Of course. And just to kind of pay the bills here, uh, if you're interested in being part of the tribe, go over to GoBundance.com. Fill out your application. Whether you're a millionaire or not, it doesn't matter. We have a product or a space for you. Go ahead and do that, and uh, and we'll get you all set up. Mike, man, I, I went through the book. I've listened to a few podcasts of yours. Your story is really compelling, and actually, it made me dig in. A couple of things I saw of you made me dig in with my own oldest son um, on some stuff that maybe you experienced with your dad that I wonder if I'm repeating. So anyway, your dad, I would guess from the timeline, he's about 76 at this point. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, he's he's seventy. He'll be seventy six this year. Uh, yep. So at the time of this, he'll be he was seventy four, about to be seventy five. Right at the time of this, yeah. So this yeah. trying to do the math out when the book was published, when the dates and so he's back. He's seventy six this year. Yeah. Give me just sort of. My dad is in the same age range, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. there's a generational thing, and you've you've alluded to this about men of that generation versus men of this generation, and the the uh, uh, the, the the difference between. Uh, then being like, push it down, grind through. Whereas now I, I like to think we're a bit more in touch with both sides. Yeah. You call it the feminine, the masculine side of things and and, mm-hmm. and that healing and everything. But kind of paint the picture of your dad for me. Uh, as you remember him growing up, what who, what was his his way of being? What do you recall of him? Yeah, well, I think first off, just to take a step back, you know, when we look at generations of men, you know, the standards and the expectations handed down to us always come from our fathers before us. Yeah. And so my dad was taught by my grandfather, who was part of the greatest generation, as we refer to the World War II generation. He fought in the war. Uh, I believe he was, uh, he worked as a radio operator, I believe, but I know he was in the Navy. And, you know, at that time, you contributed to something greater than yourself. There was a mission, there was a vision, there was a job that was very important and integral uh, to the war at that time. So imagine those morals and the values then getting handed down to my dad at the time, who grew up in this, you know, in the 50s, right after it was born in 46, right after the war. And then he grew up in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And you had those changing times. And at that point, my dad knew that the only way for him to feel purpose, fulfillment was through working for himself. So at a very young age, probably in his probably around 23, 24, when Woodstock had happened, he went to Woodstock. And then he fled to California. And at that time, he's been working for himself ever since. So I share all that because when I was growing up with him, that was the first thing that I recognized about my dad was he was always busy. 
He was always keeping himself occupied with projects that he always had interest in, whether it was business, whether it was gardening, whether it was building um, building something in part of the house that I grew up in, or it was working on his BMW. And he still actually has a 76 BMW 2002 for the car lovers out there. Uh, my dad still has the everything's original in that car. And so he's been working on it for all that time. Mm. And so, you know, when you think about that, that was, that's a reflection, I believe, of that generation is where they took interest in hobbies. They kept themselves occupied, productive. So from a very young age, I learned how to work, but also doing things that I loved for myself. But at the same time, I found there was also a disconnect on the emotional aspect, which was love, connection, vulnerability. Those were things we didn't really talk about when we were a kid. Now, that doesn't mean my dad didn't say I love you to me or I didn't say it to him, but truly understanding what it meant to have an emotional relationship with my father. That was the thing that I didn't learn. So that was kind of the precursor to a lot of years of friction between us, because as I was growing up in a generation, um, you know, if you were in your late 30s, early 40s, that was what I would say is the beginning of the the vulnerable man you know the masculine man where it was this balance of being strong but also being um exposed exposing your fears not out of a sign of a weakness but out of a sign of vulnerability and sharing connection for support and help so you know for me learn trying to navigate i guess you could say that world or that aspect of what i was learning at that time on the spiritual side of things is where a lot of that stuff um I guess a lot of that stuff remained on in through the spirituality aspect, right? So now it comes crossing over and I'm trying to ask myself all of these questions or gain answers from all these questions. And then looking at my dad, who's growing up in a productivity type mindset or productivity type uh, avenue where he's kept him bu- keeping busy. You know, your value as a man was how much money you brought home, putting food on the table, working, and repeating and you didn't say a word and that was that was part of the struggle yeah yeah you you are you're you have three brothers correct yeah i'm the oldest of four boys oldest of four and if i if i'm reading it right and understand it right the other three sort of fall in line interest wise and everything else with your father correct like the interesting cars they're kind of more like you know dad's boys in some ways correct are you more you're a writer you've got more of that creative side you're in touch with your yeah. your your feminine energy if you will or you know the vulnerability i don't yeah. know the rest of it sure, sure. are you more your mom are you more of a are you and your mom more connected in that way or no yeah no 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 that's a that's a great question um so my brothers are you know are kind of gearheads right yeah. so they're into cars <laughs> and they're they're into cars they're into fast things they're fascinated by building all three of my brothers are incredibly talented uh, with their minds in their hands from building stuff. I have one brother who's, he's currently in college right now studying to, studying neuropsychology. I have another brother who's a geology, uh, who just graduated from college uh, in geology. And then I have another brother who works in logistics. So you can already see those three are very science-based, very yeah. logical-based. And my dad's the exact same way. My dad is an accountant slash CFO. Now, when you ask me, well, what did I go to school for? Well, I went to school for business, but what was the thing that I loved to do more than anything was writing. And so on my mom's side of the family, it's all artists. So it's musicians, painters, writers. I actually have cousins that um, the beauty of Facebook, I guess, 
um, you know, despite all the, the negative news about Facebook over the years, one of the beauties of it is that people have been able to reconnect with family members. And so my mom actually reconnected with a cousin from a long, long time ago. I hadn't seen them in, God, I would probably say 30 years and found out she writes plays on Broadway. Mm. So, you know, I'm starting to now see that I know my dad's side of the family very, very well from the gearhead side. But then like my mom's side of the family has the artists and the musicians. So when you ask if I'm more like my mom, I would say from the the genetics piece in terms of inheriting true talents, I would say it's more on the mom's side. I think although I do have some traits of my dad, but I think for the vulnerability piece, too, you know, my my mom is very strong. And she actually, in a lot of ways, uh, showed me about perseverance and resiliency. She was, you know, she dealt with cancer uh, when I was 16 years old. You know, when when my parents split, uh, she was raising two boys by herself. So I have two younger half brothers. And so imagine a woman who has no college education, who has really like maybe not a very uh, consistent job history now having to start over again, left with nothing but a house and trying to figure everything out. So I'm like my mom in a lot of ways from the resiliency aspect of learning to just say, hey, you know, here's the fighter's mentality, survive. Um, and that to me is is where I get a lot of that uh, ambition and that drive uh, to, you know, do the work that I do now, which is, you know, telling stories along that line. Yeah, your 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 parents divorced when I think you were eight. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So... Yeah. And then for that point, you talk about a kind of the backpack lifestyle that was normal yeah, right. or, or duffel bag lifestyle, whatever it was, yeah. going from one house to the other. The traits that you saw in your father growing up, are they part and parcel to the split, the reason why your parents split? And by the way, I, I'm in my mind, I'm kind of building, I want to kind of level set on the family dynamic, I, yeah. Yeah, getting who your dad is. What what led to their, to their divorce? Do you have any sense of that even yeah. retroactively? Yeah, you know, I, I think... At the time, I was so young, you know, I was it was seven, eight years old when I started yeah. noticing that there was uh, friction between them and that the divide was being created. Uh, looking back at it, I would probably say the one thing was uh, communication was not being able to really get on the same page, the same wavelength. Um, and it's and it's an interesting dynamic how, you know, it's an interesting dynamic when in a relationship when you don't have communication, when you don't have a strong sense of being able to understand what your needs are and what the other person's needs are in the meeting in the middle with that. And there's also the same things as uh, desires as well. And even for yourself is not communicating that. So when I look, when I look at their situation now, um, you know, 30 years later, roughly, I look back and I go, God, that what a learning experience that was for me. But to now understand and emphasize the importance of communication and not just business and personal relationships and romantic relationships, it is so critical um, to understand how important your words are, whether they're written or whether you're you're speaking them as well. But I really think the mm-hmm. communication piece was the was the big driver for them. You, uh, we're going to talk about healing uh, in a bit yeah. here because that's the whole story of of the road ahead. And um, and it's amazing what you did. And maybe you think about my father, like man, you know, yeah, yeah. The whole thing is based on, and we'll get into you accepting this trip and, you know, maybe it's the last one I can have and the time that you got with your dad. Um, As a dad now, I wonder this for me. Mm -hmm. When when your dad asked you to go on this trip, you had these emotions around like, uh, is he about to let me down again? Cancel the trip, this, that, and the other. And you flash back even to where going to a ball game, uh, you know, he'd be on the phone the whole time or texting or whatever it was, right? Like, you you know, that's what you remember of your dad. Who should your dad have been? 
What would have mm. made him a good dad? Or, I mean, you could even flash that forward. Like, what are the elements that make a good dad from what you've observed? I mean, you've done the work here. You've done a lot of yeah. studying. You've done things that Thank most you. sons haven't done, right? So I asked yeah. that from a, an expertise perspective. So who sure. should your dad have been and or, you know, what is the what are the traits of the ideal dad? Either way you want to take that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, I think for me to... I don't want to standardize what makes a good dad um, for a multitude of reasons. But one of the things I will share for me is, is that the dynamic of fathers and son is, is that kids always expect more of their fathers than what our fathers, what fathers are capable of. And I'm not, and I am not saying that you can't be a great dad, but you have to think it's kind of like chasing horizons. There is no mountaintop moment. You know, when you say, oh, I'm a good dad, like, what does that actually mean? So, you know, for the dads out there that are listening, think about it for yourself. What is your definition of being a good dad? And are you okay playing the game of life, which is that you may never, ever reach the mountaintop of what it means to be a good dad? Because let's say you do in your mind, you paint this philosophical picture that I'm actually going to be at the top of the mountain. I'm a good dad now. But then what? So what's next? You know, it's not the it's not the destination, right? It's the journey to it. So if you can say, I am a good dad, that means you are committing to a lifelong journey to be the best version that you can be for your children. Mm-hmm. So taking that philosophy or that perspective and tying into my own, I wanted my dad to continue to evolve and grow and change into being what I wanted him to be, which was a good dad. But my expectation of him showing up in an emotional aspect, in a vulnerable aspect, uh, teaching me things that I was struggling with at the time. I even referenced in the book that the Marines was kind of like the father that I needed, yeah. not the father that I wanted. Mm-hmm. But it's, it kind of was this addition by subtraction, by leaving home at 18 years old to go off into the war during the, nine, you know, the time frame of 9-11, I was learning very much a way a lifestyle of living of holding myself accountable and ownership and therefore disconnecting myself from the dependency of my dad now if you really look at it from the father and son dynamic as well that our kids are always going to be expecting more of us even if we brought home a million dollars kids are going to be like that's it (laughs) your family's probably said the same thing too well you know you just brought home a million dollars dad why can't i get those new pair of jordans you know you probably hear it from your partner too And so there's always expectations that people are going to have of you that get met and then they want more. So it's very, very important for all of you out there to define yourself, define for yourself what being a good dad is. So is it showing up for your kids? Is it communicating with your kids? Whatever you guys value. One of the things that I find really important is, is that what is it that you really want to instill in your children? Because when you leave this earth, What is the legacy that you are leaving behind through them? What do you want to teach them? Because you also have to remember, too, that you are here in a long line of your ancestry, right? Your kids will have kids someday and their kids. And I've read somewhere that um, a majority of people, a majority of people will not have their name remembered past their great, great grandchildren. Uh, I've heard that, too. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, Jamie, do you even remember your great grandfather? Do you even know who he was? Don't know his name. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you have to think about that. And that's actually kind of a, it's a very humbling feeling, but you also have to think about it from a, a legacy standpoint. 
is what drives and motivates you, you know, and that that's also something that contributes to being a really good dad too for yourself and setting that standard is really truly asking yourself, like, how long do I want my name to last? And setting the example of what it means to be not just a dad, but a good person or a good man or a contributing human being to making the world a better place than when I entered it. Interesting. Does Would it be fair to say for you, for anybody, I, I love yeah. that point about um, kids are always expecting more of their dads. Uh, that's so true. In fact, I even <laughs> it was a, a joking thing, but uh, my my oldest at one point, a couple of years ago or something, yeah. Um, it was something about a million dollars. Like, yeah, buddy, you know, it's 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 worth a million dollars or something. And he goes, just a million? And I remember being like, dude, like, <laughs> what's enough? You know, whatever yeah. it was, a piece of property we owned or whatever. But yeah. um, is the conflict, is it fair to say that the conflict between you and your dad, and maybe this is where, where it does go yeah. awry, because I know for me, I felt this, comes in as the dad, you're feeling a sense of pride because you mm-hmm. executed on daddery whatever the hell you define that is, right? Like I'm, I'm right. a badass daddery stuff, right? It's my word. Um, but when when it, when a kid doesn't respond in the way that you want them to, it comes across as you're an ungrateful whatever. I remember hearing that from my own dad, right? You're as ungrateful right. whatever. Is that the conflict? Is that where you and your dad went into conflict that no matter what he did, you didn't have an, you, your expectation was always more, which is natural. He maybe wasn't communicating, which obviously led to the downfall of the marriage, right? He's not communicating with mm-hmm. you and instead, you know, whatever your expectation of him, he felt like, well, I'm never going to meet it, so screw you. And you said, screw mm-hmm. you. And therein lies the conflict. Is that a fair or an overly simplified representation of the conflict? That, yeah, it's a, it's a great situation and a great question that you just asked. I would also throw in uh, hormones. So being <laughs> a young boy and full of testosterone and clashing with your dad definitely contributes. And I can tell you that uh, it's a very <laughs> testosterone-filled conversations and friction we had. Um, and it's and it's funny because you were talking about your your son just now, and I and I'll never forget this. I was probably about 10, 11 years old, and um, you know my dad would sometimes bring me into the office and teach me about doing work there and like what it actually meant to have a job. So I had a really really clear understanding of what it meant to work in corporate. Yeah. And I remember one of my first jobs I ever had was reconciling checks. Was just going to him and saying, you know, he's like, here are all the numbers for the sheet. And here are all the checks. You need to make sure that the check number is uh, matches the sheet. And it was like this green and white striped paper. And he would like to like print it out. And I would have to sit there and go, okay. And I would just match them up back and forth. And it was so funny because I went into his office to tell him like, hey, I'm going to take lunch, right? You know, kids love taking lunch. And I was very adamant at that point. I was like, I'm taking a long lunch. You know, I was like 11 years old. And I remember opening up and I saw his stock portfolio at the time. And this was probably like... This is probably like early 2000s. So yeah. this, oh no, excuse me. It wasn't early 2000s. It was like 1993, 94-ish because uh, I was about 11 years old. And, uh, you know, just dated myself there. Uh, but <laughs> 93, 94. And so I ended up and I watched and I saw the dollar amount. Yeah. And it was, let's just say, a very healthy dollar amount. Sure. A couple of weeks prior, he told me that he didn't have the money to buy me a pair of shoes. Mm. And I go, wait a minute. You have roughly over seven figures sitting in this, you know, account. And I asked you for a hundred dollar pair of shoes at the time. And mind you, this is in the time of Michael Jordan. So like yeah, when yeah. you, this is, this is where you're buying those shoes. You feel like you can run faster, jump higher. And like every single shot goes in, you know, the novelty of, of wearing Air Jordans at the time, just be like Mike. 
So I'm like, wait a minute. You have all this money in this account. And I asked for a pair of Jordans and you said, we don't have the money for that. And I, re- and I'm telling this part of the story is because it was, I'm telling this part of the story because I remember that so distinctly that my dad lied to me because mm. he did have the money, but he didn't tell me to my face. I'm making the choice not to buy something like that for you because A, I don't either see the value in it. B, you should buy those yourself right. and you can earn those shoes. Or C, you could go get a job and I'll pay you. Like some sort of way incentivizing me to learn that if I want something, I have to go out and earn it. Sure. But he just straight up said no. So that became the catalyst, I remember, of a series of conversations over, you know, roughly at that time, what would be now 25, 27 years of constant friction where I could never really take my dad's word at face value. Because then I was like, wait a minute, if he's lying me about buying me a pair of shoes, what else is he lying about? Like, what else is he not being honest about? If is he is he really going to work? And like that's and he's work. Is he really working late? And that's why he didn't come to my baseball game. Is he does he actually even care? And so remember, it's never it's never. Um, how do I want to phrase this? So I, I, I'm in the camp, Jamie, where I don't believe there's problems. And I know okay. that might be controversial, right? It's always a, it's always a perception. Problems are per, are all perception. Okay, so it's never you being the problem or my dad being the problem. It's my relationship to my dad and seeing him as a problem in conflict to the resistance that I have. Mm. So, for example, my dad isn't a problem just as he is as a person, but he's in conflict with my morals and my values and my perspective. Therefore, I perceive him as a problem. Why? Because I resist accepting him for who he is as a person. And the more that we resist something, the degree of what we resist something, the more suffering actually gets created. And in that suffering comes desires. So out of the suffering that we have, we want desires. And I'm telling everybody this equation. Um, I've heard this from a multitude of people and I've kind of just kind of crowdsourced it and like framed it in there and started plugging in variables, so to speak. And I came up with this, that For my dad specifically, if I were to input my dad into this equation, it's I am resisting my dad as a person because of the conflict that I have with him and his decision making and his ability uh, to not show up the way that I wanted to, which is creating suffering as into I don't really like my dad at this time. I'm having a lot of challenges with him and i.e. I don't think he's a good father. So now the suffering is I don't think my dad is a good father. And because of that, my desire is I need to escape my father. I want him to be a better dad or I wish he was different. Hmm. And so if you see that equation across the board and, it, you know, and obviously at 11 years old, this equation did not exist. It only hmm. probably came to me within the last year or so. But the point that I'm making is, is that for me, I watched patterns and events of my dad. And the conflict that arose because of the fact is, is that the more I started asking him questions, the more I saw conflict arise within me because I couldn't trust him at that time. And so therefore, I never really could accept him. And that's where friction got caused between us. No, that makes total sense. Yeah, it's the uh, uh, the the little the little nugget at the beginning that started to expand or get, or layer onto it, yeah. right? And then you've got this complicated onion years and years later uh, that you mm-hmm. have to seek to unravel. Uh, and even, well, I don't even have to, but that you chose to seek to unravel. And what's interesting yeah. is 
when when you your choice to unravel wasn't you being proactive, it was you actually reacting to his request, right? Yes. He said, "Hey, absolutely. take this road trip with me. Go into a, a race from Vegas to to well, the race isn't race in Florida. You're going to drive from Vegas to Florida. Uh, long road trip. That's a that's not a short short drive." I, he wrote the forward in your book, and maybe maybe I just missed it as I went through, or I didn't quite interpret it. So apologies if I overlooked it. But my question is, why did he ask you? Really, why did he mm. ask? What did you learn from him? What did he say eventually? I know what he told you, but why did he ask you? Yeah. Um, my perspective on that was, you know, after years and years of wanting to have a relationship with him right before the COVID pandemic, I was about to just shut it off because here I was growing older. And I said, you know, I've tried so hard to always meet him where he is. And again, if we go back to that equation, I just referenced. Yeah. I'm trying so hard to meet him where he's at that my resistance to just accept the relationship for what it is was creating so much internal suffering for me. Um, you know, and, and now you were talking about specifically about um, you and I before the podcast, we were actually talking about money. Right. So one of the things that I inherently did, and this is what I talk about with the suffering piece was, is I actually kept myself from making money. And why did I do that? You probably might say, Mike, that is absolutely nuts. Why would you prevent yourself from making income to provide for yourself and your future family? Well, here's the reason why. If I saw my dad lie to me at that time frame, when I saw the bank account number and he said no to me to pair of shoes, I go, all he cares about is money. And he would rather lie to my face, which again is the assumption. He would rather lie to my face and tell me the truth about why he would want to buy that. So in my head, I'm already going, I don't want to be like my dad. And it, because he has money, if I get money, I'm going to be just like my dad. Hmm. So that internal suffering came up where I actually limited my capacity to earn. And it wasn't because I didn't value money. It was because I rejected the idea that... I was different than my father. I actually told myself I was going to end up like him if I had the amount of money that he did working it for himself and his business. So uh, taking that piece and fast forwarding to COVID. So at this point, I said, you know, I'm going to disconnect myself from him completely because this fight that I'm creating in my own body and in my own mind and in my own life is actually preventing me from getting what I wanted. So maybe the solution is dialing the relationship back to the point where calling him quarterly, maybe on the holidays and uh, wishing him happy birthday. And that's it. A cordial ground to walk on, so to speak. Now, when he calls me, and this is probably about, let's see, the pandemic started in March of 2020. I don't know the official day. I think it was like the 16th. It was right. And now. yeah, it's yeah. like right when they, the whole entire country was shut down. It was probably five months later in October couple weeks before my birthday, where he called me. And I remember hearing in his voice that I remember hearing in his voice, the desire for me to go. Why do I think he really asked me? I think he really asked me because at that time, the fear of the pandemic and not knowing what was going to happen next, not knowing if we were all going to die from COVID, uh, not knowing how serious this was, the whole entire world was shut down. Nobody knew what was going to happen. And I think the fear that maybe he and I never were going to have a relationship that we ever wanted, maybe that inspired him. I know for me, the fear of 
you know, the fear of not knowing if my business was going to survive or my relationships were going to survive or I was ever going to be able to leave my apartment in Colorado at the time was ever going to survive. Um, let alone thinking, man, I don't ever know if I'm going to get another chance with him because I don't know what the uncertainty, the uncertainty of the world is influencing all my decisions and my perspectives at this time. But I really think why he asked me was, is that he was scared that he was never going to get another chance. And as you get older, yeah. you start looking at your runway getting a little bit shorter. You can't get that time back. And I think that's what drove a lot of the um, inspiration for us to go on that road trip together. Do you reflect? I, I know I when he asked you, you were you were you were ready to say no, and you had sort of a divine yeah. moment of of a voice. I think you even said like James Earl Jones' voice saying, "Go, you yeah. need to go, right?" Yeah, so, yeah, Mufasa, right, you right, know. Mufasa. But do you do you um do you look at that moment now? Because that, that to me, I mean, I I don't know your father, but I put my father in your father's shoes, right? Seventy yeah. something year old guy grew up a certain way, you know, just provide and go and whatever, right? Yeah. Like you don't share your emotion. But to your point, that's a really introspective thought that, hey, the pandemic humanized so much for many of us. It, it caused mm -hmm. people to quit jobs because they could see, you know, while life might be bigger than just Absolutely. the buck I earn or what I'm doing and purpose means something and all of that. But your dad's in his 70s, right? And this pandemic jars him a little bit. That's a lot of like a lot of pent up rock that had to be yes. jarred for him to ask you, even if he masked it, like you said, with this ad salesman sort of sort of approach to getting, yeah. getting you to go. The fact that you recognize that he reached out out of a place of vulnerability, how much did that, how much was that present to you in the moment or maybe when you just started the trip? Was it, was your, did you understand that or is it more now looking back on it or after the trip mm. was over? Like, wow, how much strength it took, or is that how you see it? How much strength it took for him to even ask? When did yeah. that become apparent? Yeah, my, my dad, um, I referenced to my my I referenced to the book my dad being kind of a Don Draper type of guy because he did work in the ad agency business and I always remember he used to wear the, like the Donald Trump like power ties like the wide ties and he would like wear a suit to work all the time he was always with you know big big clients like uh, I think he worked with like Nestle and Tropicana and Hills Brothers Coffee was like some of the people uh, that he worked with and I remember hearing hearing that tonality in his voice of pitching me and selling me on this like big idea, just like he did in those client meetings. Right. And so, you know, my dad is never one to just come out of the woodworks and be vulnerable and expose himself. Because again, like he, the men of that generation, most of them, most men of that generation associated vulnerability with weakness, not vulnerability as connection, which is a big difference with today's generation of men, where I think more and more men are starting to see that vulnerability is actually a tool for connection and cultivating very deep relationships with other men. It is not a sign of weakness. Um, it's actually a sign of strength. So to watch my dad exhibit something that my generation is exhibiting and putting into practice on a day-to-day -day basis, especially when you see some of my friends who are dads and they have new, ch you know, they have children, young children, you're watching them connect from a very early age, that type of vulnerability that is bringing them closer together and strengthening. It's almost kind of like, hey, I may be your dad and I have some things figured out more than you do, but I'm here to teach you. I'm not here to assert my dominance or power or superiority or make you feel lesser than. I'm here to guide you and show you that. And I think that's been a big shift that I've seen with a lot of men who have children. It's a guide. It's a teaching. It's like almost like a coaching as opposed to like, I'm your dad. You do what I tell you to do. 
And that's the way it goes because I pay the bills around here. <laughs> so for my dad, that was a lot of him. And, you know, when you talk about introspective, like when did that all hit me? I started noticing that with him, it was a cry. It wasn't a cry, but it was like his way of reaching out to me, reaching across the aisle after years and years of conflict of saying, give us one more chance. And I don't even think, Jamie, he realized he was doing that. And that voice that I talked about, James Earl Jones, the Mufasa type, where it was like, you know, when, you know, Mufasa is talking to Simba, you know, and they're citing on Pride Rock, I think, in Lion King, which is a fantastic movie. I'm sure everybody's seen it. But, you know, I'm, there's always one person that hasn't seen Lion King or Titanic. Um, but I remembered that yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I actually, I actually, uh, not to segue too much, but I actually like remember this radio interview a couple of years back where they were, there was a guy, I think in India or guy in India, I think who was attempting to become the last human being on earth to not see the movie Titanic. Wow. Um, yeah. So anyway, just yeah. so random fact that I have in my brain. Um, but to go back to the book and my dad, I think it was his way of reaching across the aisle. Yeah. And after years of conflict, I started noticing that actually this was his way of wanting to connect with me. And maybe this was our one last time. And James Earl Jones, you know, I, 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 you know, I could say voice of God. Some people would refer to Morgan Freeman. I would say James Earl Jones. Um, you know, and for me, that voice was, you have to go on this trip with your dad because it might be the only one that you get with him. And hearing that phrase and hearing my dad at the same time pitching me like I was one of his clients but remember, there's content and context to everything that we say. If I looked at the context of what it really was, it was like, son, just give me one more chance. Mm. And I heard that tied in with James Earl Jones with also what could have been maybe this amazing trip, choosing to spend my birthday on the road with my dad in a Mercedes Sprinter van for 11 days, you know, knowing the past that I had. At first, I was like, no effing way. Why would I even go on that? I don't think any son would, but I had to. It, there was something that just pulled me towards him that said, you know, at least I will, at least I can look back on this, whatever the outcome of the result of this trip, whatever yeah. it is, I know that I did my best and he did too. And maybe something happens and maybe something didn't. But, you know, I didn't know when I went on the trip, like what his true motivation was. The only thing I knew is, is that the more time I spent with him, the more I realized that he was learning the concept of vulnerability without even realizing that he was exposing himself in a manner uh, intentionally that would have been vulnerability. I hope that makes sense. It does. It absolutely yeah. does. And credit to both of you, really, for, for uh, yeah, he reached across, but you, you easily, you know, I think you've said it. This was a moment where he wanted something from you, right? So you yeah. had the power. And you could have easily exercised that power and said, not this time, old man. Like, finally, yeah. you need me and I'm not going to give it to you. Right. But you did. You, 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 whatever. D divine intervention, God, Morgan Freeman, whoever mm -hmm. it was. Yeah, right, right. You, you did it. So kudos to both of you. That takes a lot of strength for both of you as men. Thank you. Uh, to make that connection for sure. I'm sure as you start the trip, and uh, I know as you start the trip, it's a bit arms folded, right? Like, you know, a little yeah. boxed in. What is this? What's going to happen next or whatever? Do you recall a moment or a couple of moments or a time in which that started to unfold where your arms started to loosen up? Was there a was there a, a thing said, a mm -hmm. moment that you shared? Uh, maybe it's even like as you look back on it, maybe not in that moment, but where where it really was the turning point of like, oh, my God, 
this is uh, this yeah. is the healing I needed. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the book is a is a story called When All Your Friends Are Gone. And it is a story about my dad uh, as an older man after some not successful marriages, trying to find himself around my age at this time, late 30s, early 40s. You know, I'm was a couple years old at the time. And then he had my brother five years later. And his business is going through the ebb and flows of everybody from, you know, Reagan to Bush one to Clinton back to Bush two. You know, I mean, he's he tells me to this day, I've seen it all. You know, I've been through more recessions than you could possibly imagine. I've been through more good times you could possibly imagine. And, you know, we we always kind of stuck around the safe areas of business and stocks and college football. And I think most men. Uh, relationships with their dads that aren't really cultivated on a very deep, deep relationship. They really have those like three arenas that they stick into because they know it's safe and, you know, they know what to expect in there. And it's factual. When you start talking about feelings and emotions, it can get a little bit challenging for people, especially if they don't, they aren't aware of their own emotions and nor are they aware of the other person's emotions. So yes, very arms folded moment for a majority of that trip. And I started to loosen up a little bit, you know, because I was documenting and obviously, you know, I I would I take a lot of pride in this being part of the last generation that knew what the world was like before social media. Yeah. And so, you know, being on my phone and recording videos and asking him questions and I have my Zoom recorder out, too. So, you know, as I you know, as I told you, I've been in the podcast game for a while. And so, you know, I always have my recorder with me. I'm like, this could be a podcast because like, that's how I think. Right. So I'm listening to my dad telling me the story and he immediately went into the story of his faith. And my dad's a, a very devout Christian. Um, I am not. And, you know, it's funny because over the years, there's always been this notion that religion divides people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, I recognized that I needed to come from a place of non-judgment and just hear him out and just see what was important to him and remove any sort of perception I have about, you know, what my feelings would be about the church or not about the church or about faith or God, the existence of God or not the existence of God, like whatever people believe in. I think so many of us have perspectives already before we hear somebody else out. And that's just not in religions. That's just in general. And a way to break that down is to receive what is being said to you. And so in order for me to really truly connect with my dad, I had to receive what was being said to me and remove my own bias or my perspectives. And that was listening to him growing up what he said spiritually and emotionally in the church. And at that time, he had three guys, uh, Bill, Max and Floyd. And these were these three guys that he had spent what he had told me over 20 years with them. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, as I referenced earlier, men, the vulnerability piece and the conflict that arose in men of his generation weren't really taught to share their feelings or connect or cry even in front of each other. You know, crying is such a big thing that even gets taught. You know, uh, I remember when I was a kid, it's like you didn't cry. You weren't you were told, like, don't be a man. Don't cry. Yeah. And it's interesting because. I'm hearing this story about my dad in the car about him talking about his three friends. And he spoke more of the moments where they broke down and they cried and they were emotionally touched by their faith than he actually did about their shared successes in business. And all three of them were incredibly successful. But he talked more about the moments where they weren't talking about successes. 
that they were actually hurting or they were inspired and motivated by the teachings of, you know, reading the book, so to speak. And my arms, I remember from a physical aspect, started to loosen a bit, but my heart started loosening even more because I was hearing him talk about the deeply cultivated relationships of men being not just friends, but brothers and tribe and community. And that to me was so powerful because, you know, his friend Max had passed away a couple of years ago and, and Max lived a really long time. And I got to tell you, Jamie, I remember Max from when I was a kid, one of the most outstanding men that I've ever met in my life. And he was, I mean, he was like, he knew everybody in the church. He knew everybody in the small town of California. He used to spend my weekends uh, as a kid. He was always kind. And he was with his wife. And like, I mean, they were together all the time. They operated as a unit. He was successful. She had her role. He had his role. And I remember around 97, I think, is when he passed. And those last days that he had spent, Max had spent in front of the fireplace. My dad, I remember him telling me, I used to go see Max every time. Every week, I would go up there and spend time with him. Watching this man spend the last days on his earth in front of this fireplace. And then watching my dad, who's 20 years younger, 30 years younger at the time, being emotionally connected to this man, someone that he looked up to as a mentor and as a brother and as a friend. And my dad started crying when he was driving. Mm. And I realized like, wow, I think my dad is really vulnerable. I think he gets what it means to emotionally connect to somebody. I just don't think he ever had a label on it. And I don't think he knew how to teach anything to me about that because he was learning for it for himself. Wow, man. That is powerful. That's incredible. And um, it makes me wonder a little bit. So, you know, uh, maybe an action-based thing. So you had 11 days to go deep, right? With with your dad and have these conversations and get there. If someone's listening or even me right now, my kids are, are not of this age, but, you know, at some point or even with my own father, If let's assume a father listening or a son listening says, man, this, I need, I need this with my father or son, right? I need this healing with my father or son, but I can't get 11 days with them. It's just not logistically possible, but we can agree to meet on a Saturday, spend a day together. If you only had one day to, to, Mm. to, to get, you know, a level of healing, like you did over the course of 11 days. What would you suggest to me, to somebody, if I'm going to go in with my father or if a father's going to go with a son, how do you, I don't want to say like, how do you, what are the three steps to compress it from 11 to one days? That's not the (laughs) question, but unless you want to take it that way, I suppose, but what are the, what are the key elements? What has to be in place? How do you, how do you, if the intent, assuming, assuming both parties agree, yeah, Hey, we've had some conflict, but yeah, dad, or yes, son, I want to be, I want to be there with you. I want to be, spend some time with you. What are the elements that need to be in place in order for for any level of healing to begin if somebody yeah. if somebody was inspired by the story? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I will tell you that the first thing that everybody should do if they're looking for healing from uh, a broken relationship, whether it's in personal, business, relationships or everything in life, the first thing you have to do is remove the notion that you know anything at all. Hmm. And here's what I mean by that. We all have biases and we all have perspectives. And we all have assumptions. We all often go into meetings or conversations thinking we already know what the other person's going to say. And it's the real challenge is to remove that and just listen and be present. Just listen and be present because it's hard for you to learn anything 
if you think you know everything. So remove your ability to have any sort of like, I already know what he's going to be talking about. You know, with my dad, it was like, I already know what he's going to say. He's going to tell me some BS about, you know, like why he didn't show up or he's not going to take responsibility. And actually the healing really took place between us when I was able to just listen and receive him of what he was saying to me and not have judgment around that and actually just listen. And he told me, and then I asked further and I asked further. And then I got to the core reason of it because remember, we have our conscious and our subconscious beliefs. Sometimes people just say stuff because it's easy to say and that's what they default to. We learn all of our points of views and judgments from other people. If you think about it, like we're, uh, you know, you could see even not to get too deep, but not to get too meta, so to speak. But if you really think about it, we're a series of walking conversations. Mm. We came into this world a blank slate and everything we learned has been completely input. And then we shaped and molded our view of the world around what was told to us. So if you were, are able to remove the idea that you know everything about what the other person is going to say, that input, so to speak, you can receive that person. You can learn from them. You can see what they have learned from somewhere else. And see, is that really what they truly believe or is that something that they've learned? And what I learned is my dad learned so much about the world and about his experiences and events that shaped and formed who he is that I was able to just listen to him and then honor that unique experience, which is the second thing I would say, is that once you identify and listen to that person, give the respect to that person's experience, whether you agree with it or not, because everybody's on their own journey. Everybody's on their own path in life. And you need to, we need to respect each other's journey, whether it's a difficult journey for them or whether it's a successful, amazing journey. You and I, Jamie, are on different journeys. So if we wanted to cultivate some sort of healing, if we had conflict or even we wanted to get to know each other, it's removing my bias that I know who you are, despite you know the, the value of Google out there. I could just research a ton of stuff about you as well as you could me. But the thing is, is that if I just actually sit here and I remove my bias about who you are, even if I see all these books behind you or this microphone, whatever the case may be, if I just receive you who you are from what you're telling me, and I go, wow, I can acknowledge and respect your journey, whatever it may be, whatever the conflicts that you have arisen. So there's two things. And then the three things is come to the table with the ability for you to meet that person where they are at. Now, that has to be a two-way street. It really does. It's very, very difficult for us to meet somebody 90% of the way and only meet them 10% of the way and feel like we're going to get some sort of healing or fulfillment about it because you know why? Well, we don't like giving way more and not get anything back in equal value. If we get something of less value, we tend to get a little bit frustrated with it. But if we get something of equal value or more value, then we feel like it's always worth it. It doesn't matter if you spend $100,000 uh, in a business or on a house, if you get $110,000 back, you're cool. If you get $90,000 back, it's a complete wash or a loss. So take that analogy and think about that at the other side is what are you willing to come to the table with to meet that person in the middle? And they have to do it too. Now, here's the caveat with this. Most of the time, if you have conflict with your parents, and I am only speaking from my own experience, if you have conflict with your parents and they don't meet you where you want them to meet you, even though you've done the healing and you've removed your biases and you've listened and you respected their journey in life. And let's say mom and dad are still like, you know what? I, uh, I'm still going to talk smack about you or, you know, I'm going to, 
judge you for not getting a business degree and going to art school instead. You know, because the business degree was safer. How many of you have heard that? Why didn't you get a job in finance? You could have had a long, healthy career. And you're like, no, I wanted to go be a philosophy teacher or professor in college. The only thing you could really do at that time is probably the hardest thing out of all three of those is accept them for who they are. You don't have to like them. You don't have to love your parents. And I know that's a hard thing for a lot of people to say, uh, maybe to hear. And it's been a hard thing for me to digest a lot of times. And I'm very thankful and blessed that I don't feel that way about my dad. Because I actually, I accept and love him more than I ever have. But being able to accept your parents for who they are does not equate you having to love them or like them. It just means you accept them for who they are. And then you can make the choice from there if you want to have a relationship with them. I love that. Man. And those are, those are the, those are the three things. Yeah. Well, you gave, you give us a three-step process for that, which is, which is awesome. One day with dad, here's what you could do. Now yeah. I, I think that's my, it's, it's my list. It's my list post, you know, there you it's go. like my, my list post. Yeah. Perfect. No, that's great. Yeah. No, I, I think that's awesome. The, um, it's funny, my my uh, my father and I don't have a conflicting relationship. Never really did. I mean, you know, as a kid, mm. you mentioned some things that you said uh, 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 about crying. Like, I think my father's phrase was something like, "Do you want something to cry about?" Right? Like that was, yeah. <laughs> which sounds really bad as I say yeah. it. I'm laughing about it. It's like, but yeah. but you know, his thing at that moment was like, you know, uh, you know, knock that crying. He didn't want to deal with the emotion, right? So, right, you know, whatever. Right. But um, <laughs> I had this uh, I had this moment recently, and I'm glad my father's around for this. And I don't know if it meant anything to him, but it meant something to me. Um, I actually was uh, so I've become a proponent of of uh, uh, psychedelics. I think I believe in mm. the idea of leveraging yeah. them. I think it unlocks you. It gets you closer to your spirituality. And I did a psilocybin retreat recently, like, you know, cool. all in, not a microdose, but a full dose. It's my second one. And um, in that, I had this, I don't know, view of my father that popped up in this in this deep introspective state that I was in. And there was something, my father's been going through some, some, uh, some uh, it feels like anxieties recently. Like he's never had them before, but he's in his 70s. And I think, you know, his brother got sick and I think it really messed with him. Like, wow, the mortality is here. His older brother got mm. sick and, and all of that stuff. And I've always, to your point, I've always looked at my father as um, simple, maybe in some ways. And I don't mean that in a, be- in, in a demeaning way, but I, yeah. he said to me at one point, look, if it were up to me, you'd still be at the ice cream shop up the street working there. Like mm. for him, you know, life is very like, it's all here. It's in control. And I don't know I always kind of waved it off like, ah, dad, you know, whatever. But in that moment, in this, in this deep introspective moment, something came to me about like, oh my goodness, he's got three kids who have had kids. And then some of those kids, because my older sisters had kids when they were young, have had kids. Right. And he has always been one that wants everybody working at the ice cream shop locally, right? So yeah. now that everybody's gone off and his ability to control all of it has become you know, fractured. His worry for everybody's safety and well-being is what's at the heart of it. And he just doesn't have the bandwidth to worry that broadly. He's breaking down. And I felt compelled and I did call him afterward to say, hey, um, if anything happens, I got this, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I got this. I've been thankfully successful financially as well as in other ways, right? Like, mom's okay. Everybody's okay. I got this. Like, you can lean on me. I've never, I'm getting emotional thinking about this. I've never allowed Mm -hmm. you to do that, but lean on me, right? So, I had that moment and I I remember being so, and I still am to this day, grateful that I had it while he's still here, as you did with your dad. Mm -hmm. Is there a way for someone listening to do this if their father or maybe son aren't here, if they've passed? Is there a way to Mm -hmm. heal? Yeah. 
There is. Well, and, and first off, like, I, I think that would thank you for sharing that. And sure. uh, I think that's such a powerful moment. I think, you know, one thing it just to, to dive in a little bit into Please. just your situation, which I think is an extremely powerful is, you know, your father is recognizing his mechanism of controlling his environment for fear of what would happen if he wasn't in control. So control mm-hmm. is an illusion, right? Big time. So if you really, if you really think about the certainty that we try to create for ourselves, it's the circumstances which we know are going to happen or the circumstances that we want to happen. And it's funny because the circumstances that we want to happen, we never actually let those happen. We just create this fictitious story in our head that that's what's going to happen so we can control the variables and we can keep things close to us. So probably the reason why, you know, my assumption would be that your dad wanted you closer to the ice cream shop was not to just be at the ice cream shop, was because he had a fear that if you traveled too far away from him, he wasn't going to be able to protect you from what 100%. the world was on the outside. 100%. And so that's a hard thing, right? Because that's resistance into letting go of somebody being an autonomous person as such as yourself, who has his own dreams, wants and desires, has his own family now. So I'd say all that because remember, if you go back to the equation in the beginning, which is the resistance, the suffering and the desires, is that if you are still holding on to your, uh, you know, to a relationship that was not that great, and your mom or dad had passed away. I want you to think about the idea right now is that that weight of that relationship in some form or fashion is keeping you from achieving what you truly want in your life. Whether they have passed or they are still here, you're letting somebody else impact who you are and what you can become. So if you look at where you are now and your highest self, your future self, Ask yourself the question, what is the path of least resistance for me to achieve my full potential and desire? And if the answer is letting go of my relationship with my mom and dad, and you can do this exercise, and I do this actually, this little, this little exercise, and I'm, I'm going to give this to people right now. If you're ever having trouble about making the decision in your life, whether it's making a decision in a personal relationship, handling a conflict, um, your kids are you know, acting out. Um, or you're in a fight with your siblings or your partner or your business is not going in a good way. Ask yourself where you are right now. That's the first thing. So where I am right now and give yourself an honest assessment, be just very objective and then start visualizing where do you want to be? What do you want this relationship to be with your dad? Whether they're alive or dead, what do you want? What did you want that relationship to be? And then ask yourself, If I wanted a healthy relationship with my dad, and this is what's going to get interesting here. If I wanted a healthy relationship with a parent that is no longer here, in the physical form, that relationship is no longer. Mm -hmm. But if you believe that there is something much greater than yourself outside of that physical relationship, then this is where you can ask yourself, what is the path of least resistance to allow myself to move on with my life? And when we want to move on, you have to let go of something. So I want everybody to think and embrace about the concept right now of what is it that can you let go in your life right now to make space for the things that you truly want. So if you want to heal something with your dad or your mom or a grandparent, whoever raised you, uncle, brother, sister, it doesn't matter. If that person is no longer here and you had a very difficult relationship with them, ask yourself right now, are you willing to let go the idea that that thing's holding you back? Are you willing to let go right now that person's impact on your life? Because it's funny, Jamie, we actually 
holding on, we actually will self-sabotage ourselves and find every single excuse and reason not to get what we want in life because it's always easier for us to make excuses than it is to take ownership and responsibility for getting the things that we want in life. So if I have a bad relationship with my dad, and I told you this, I told you a little bit before in this podcast, like I actually prevented myself intentionally from making money because I didn't want to end up like my dad. And all I had to do was change my perspective. All I had to do was move just a couple degrees to the right to actually see that I can make just money, if not more money than my dad and be a completely different person. But I'm not going to let my dad and the resistance that I have to my dad prevent me from making the money and having the life and working with the people that I want to work with. So are you willing to let go? And that's a hard thing for a lot of people. It's a really, really hard thing for a lot of people to let go of the the grudges, um, even if it's like something small. Like I remember when I was 16 years old, I got like a D on my report card and my mom was like, you can't go to the spring dance. And I got pissed. And I still remember that. It doesn't even matter to me anymore. I still get mad about that. So I I hope that was helpful for everybody here just to think about the resistance that you have. Well, I, there's a my favorite law in the universe is the vacuum law of prosperity. I don't know if you've ever heard mm-hmm. of that, but Bob Proctor made it famous. I've talked about it a lot, and it's essentially what you just said. It's in order to have the good in your life, you need to remove things to for, to make room for it, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you want to you want a, a nicer couch. Well, the couch that's there needs to go in order for you to put the nicer couch in its place, right? That's the that's the basic version yeah. of the vacuum mm-hmm. law of prosperity. The things that you want, to your point, yeah. in a relationship, you have to put down certain things, whether they're here or they're not here. So. What happened after? Tell me what happened after yeah. this whole trip. Yeah, absolutely. So when we came back from that trip, I celebrated my birthday with my dad. And, um, you know, it was it was interesting because the only gift that I really, truly wanted in my life was to have a relationship with my dad. And I got it. And when I came back from that trip, I started just pounding the keys on my keyboard at home. And I was like, I got to write this. I had, I had no, we got I have to write this travel, this like trip that I just took because it was mind blowing to me. I never set out with the intention to write this book. Mm. But what I actually found was is the book was a driver into the healing process in a very expedited manner. Meaning the more that I actually wrote about this, I cried the entire time I wrote that book. <laughs> Every single day I cried and I cried for hours. I'm talking about probably four to five hours of just straight crying, just purging out. And what was really interesting was is the more I started crying and writing and editing this book, the more things were opening up in my life. So I remember during the pandemic, I right before uh, the pandemic started, I was about like closer. I was a little bit heavy, let's just say to speak. And I actually, I'll, I'll show you a picture. I actually, I, we don't have time now, but I'll have to send you a picture later. <laughs> Do but it. Yeah. it was, it's it, it's crazy the difference now. And let's just say I lost about thirty pounds. Yeah, and and I got lost about thirty pounds. Um, within that first year, I made a whole new group of friends after literally saying out loud, I need to surround myself with like-minded people. And it was like within the course of a year after I had healed the relationship with my dad, I ended up having my biggest year in business. And it was crazy, Jamie. I did no marketing. And I mean, there was no like crazy external. I didn't have any funnels set up. It was all inbound of people that I was either meeting at conferences, having conversations, random conversations at coffee shops all telling me I want to start a podcast or, hey, could you help me build a brand? And it was like, holy crap, it's coming in with so much ease. Yeah, I had my biggest year in business. Um, I ended up buying, my, buying a house in October. 
of 2021. I ended up buying another house. Uh, got in the best shape of my life. And I entered this relationship with my girlfriend now. And it's been the most rewarding and the most fulfilling relationship I've ever had. And as you can tell, we we talked about this, um, the letting go process. Dude. And I was like, I was like, man. This is so yeah. powerful to me. And I I wanted to, so uh, for you know transparency, because this might look like it's clipped in. We started talking after. I'm like, I don't know. We got to record and go back in. <laughs> yeah. Well, because this is so good. Like the the letting go. So there's two things I'll share on yeah. my end. And please, it's like, please. I didn't realize. And then you and then you learn about it. So I have this coach, Jason Dries. And he was talking about this the other day. He's like, look, what gets a hot air balloon up? Right. It's the it's the fire, the flame, like the push. Right. Mm-hmm. But what keeps it up? It's dropping weight. Right. Like as long as you're dropping the weight, the air, the, the hot air balloon stays up. And to your point, letting go. When, when I was 27, I walked away from a marriage uh, three weeks before the wedding or not a marriage. Mm-hmm. But I walked away from a, a relationship three weeks before the wedding. Right. We didn't get married. It was three weeks early earlier and you know, probably could have done it sooner. Yeah. You know, but still, I did it three weeks before it was when whatever whatever intuition I had. Uh, finally was screaming so loud that I, I really don't even remember having a choice, right? It was just sort of, it happened. And prior to that, I knew my intuition was telling me not to go through with it, but what would I do? I would drink, I would eat, I would go out, I would take a vacation. Mm. I would find any way to numb the intuitive guidance that was in there and just, just bury it under stuff, right? Until finally it was like, you can't go through with this. And I didn't go through Mm. with it. When I did that, when I called the wedding off, and broke off the relationship and and all of that and and cleared that, right? It's funny how my focus was, I want to get in better shape, so I'd go to the gym. I want my career to take off, so I'd work harder, right? All this stuff. But my intuitive guidance system was telling me, you got to put the relationship down. And as soon as I did, like you, all the other stuff happened. But we push against doing these things. I've got to go to the gym and get in shape. But we don't put down maybe what we're being told to do intuitively in order to get there. I mentioned psychedelics. Me doing psilocybin mushrooms, right? And and that sort of thing, you know, therapeutically, yeah. not just like tripping and hanging Absolutely. out with money, yeah, right? Like, right, right, right. Yeah. Therapeutically with intention, you know, and, and there's a there's a session before and after to integrate the learnings, all that, like really intentional about it. That is that is what uh, I think is the is the beauty of that is it's allowed me to get the pathway to my intuitive. Like when you meditate all day, right? And you're thinking, okay, I'm supposed to go somewhere. So there's a frequency you're supposed to tap into. Like, I don't know what it is, but now I do. Like, honestly, psychedelics have shown me where I need to go when I'm meditating, what my what my uh, core self is. Right. That's where my intuition takes over. And I get as close to that as possible. That might tell me, like, you got to go for a massage. Like, what do you mean I go for a massage? I got 77 things I got to get done. Like, hey, intuition, how do I solve this stuff? Go get a massage. Like, no, it doesn't. But when you do, your intuition is telling you that massage, the thought, the relaxation, whatever. That's going to allow you the creativity or the space to understand what it's going to take for those 77 things to go away. So what right. you just said struck that chord with me about, you you know, you're, this guidance system shouting at you, James Earl Jones style, go on this trip with your dad, right? And then in that moment, whatever was inside of you saying, open up, allow, meet, what were the three things? Meet him where he is, um, uh, remove your, 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 your biases, yeah. remove your assumptions, yeah. right? all of these things that you did. You get you heal the relationship with dad, and people want to want to hire you to be uh, their their brand consultant, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. Well, well, and you know what's and you know what's really interesting is is that I have found that you know when and I've been asked this on other podcasts before, like you know what what do you define success as, or what's like your key to like if somebody wanted to achieve success, what are your keys? 
I said, the key, if anybody wants to have success in their life, whatever that is for you, here's a quick little hack. Find where you are resisting and reduce the resistance to it. Mm. So I've had a, I had a gentleman, Joe Polish, who owns the uh, Genius oh, Network. Genius we Network. had dinner, we had dinner a while ago and I'll never forget this because J- Joe's, Joe's a great guy, incredibly smart, highly revered in his, in his field of work and also just an outstanding human being. And Joe said to me at the dinner, he goes, I offer this to every single one of my participants when I do my events and only three people have done this. And I said, what's this challenge? And he goes, if you really want to get clarity and have million dollar business idea or multi-million dollar business idea, go get a massage every single day for 30 days. And I was like, what? A massage? I'm in. I was like, I'm totally in, right? And he goes, seriously, (laughs) if you do it, he says, there is something about the massage that reduces the resistance that you have to any sort of circumstances or perspective. And so, you know, it's funny. I said, you know, Joe, I, at some point I'm going to do that, you know, and I'm going to do that as well. And you were talking about the massages and psilocybin as well. And is that when we, you know, and I'm also an advocate for psilocybin as well and psychedelics, because one, um, I have seen the power of it for my friends, you know, who served in combat. Uh, yeah, they've come that, home, they've used okay. it to really reduce their PTSD symptoms. And I know how effective it can be in those controlled environments, right? Not the tripping aspect, but actually just using it in a controlled environment under supervision. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can really be able to do some transformative healing. Now, I'm not telling anybody anybody out here that they should go do it. But I will tell you, though, that it is, there is a there is research and there is science. And I do encourage people to go read the research and make oh, those informed. I'm going to overrule that. Go to Netflix yeah. and watch yeah. How to Change Your Mind, a three-part series. In fact, just watch the one on psilocybin. Yeah. You don't yeah, even well, Michael read Pollen. anything. Michael Pollan. You go watch yeah. that Netflix documentary, the three, three. And then from there, to your point, if you want to d- dive deeper, there's yeah. plenty of stuff you could read about it, but there's 100%. all truth in that. So yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I, no, 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 please. That, that was great. That's actually, that's actually funny because I actually have Michael Pollan's book somewhere in my house Me and uh, it, I keep staring at that thing. And you know, whenever you just have a book that he keeps staring at, yeah. And it's just like, I keep looking at it and I'm like, man, this is, I was like, I feel like I need to read that book, but not yet. And I think this this conversation has inspired me uh, to do that. So I might have to pick that up as my next book. But anyway, the point is, is that there are tools and there are resources and there are people out there that can help you reduce the resistance around anything. And if you really want to have success in your life, look at the areas of where you have the most resistance and dial those back. And it's some of those things you might have to just do a ton of work on. You might have to do a crap load of work on it to reduce the resistance. But I guarantee you, even if it's 1% less than what you were feeling before, or it was 20% less, obviously you'll see a significance. But the resistance you have to making money, if that decreases, you will make more money. If you have a resistance to being accepted in a romantic relationship, the more you reduce that, the more love you're going to get. And the more that you want to be able to live the life that you want when it comes to your parents, if you can reduce the resistance that you have to accepting your parents for who they are and their flawed capacity as a human being and your flawed capacity as a human being, the more that you will break free of the notion that you're going to end up like them. And that's where I'm going to tell you, and I'll, and I'll end this here, this segment here, is I feared ending up just like my dad, but I love being his son. Man, powerful stuff uh, and, and incredible. Thank you so much, Mike, for diving in on this. The road ahead, question. yeah, the road ahead of miles behind, a story of healing and redemption between father and son. Where can folks find this? Where do you want to, where do you want to direct people to find you? Give us that. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, first and foremost, uh, thank you so much, Jamie, for having me on here. And I hope everybody, uh, you know, found some sort of, of guidance around that, uh, whatever difficulties or situations you have uh, in your relationships, uh, whether it's parents or significant others or loved ones. Um, I hope I, I hope what I said today was extremely valuable for you. Um, I post a ton of free content on Twitter and on Instagram. So please follow me there. Uh, on Instagram, it's at Mike.Ligori. So it's L-I-G-U-O-R-I. And then that Twitter, it's Mike Ligori, no dot in the middle. That's the only big difference. Um, the book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And uh, I, I encourage people to get this book. Obviously, I'm biased because I wrote it and I spent an incredible amount of time. Uh, I am so proud of this book. But more importantly, this book is a mechanism for anybody out there that is looking to get clarity on the healing journey that they want to take so that they can move on and create the life that they want for themselves. And so I encourage people. Yeah. I want to, I want people to read the book to find out some of that. Yeah, exactly. the story. We gotta yeah. Leave a little, little meat on the bone here. A little yeah, meat on well, the bone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You know. <laughs> but no, look, the book is really well written and it's efficient. I mean, not, you know, you said it, it's a quick read and I don't, I, that's, that sounds diminishing, but I think that there's not a lot of fat here, right? Like you kind of, you take, uh, you take us through the journey very efficiently. There's not, you know, like I read books that are 200 pages that really only needed a hundred, like there's 120 pages that you read 120 pages in this book, but it is, Thank it's you. easy to get through and it's, uh, and it's well-written. And so honestly, I think it's a great book to pick up. Uh, I'd recommend it for anybody. And I appreciate the opportunity to not only read it, but then have you on and chat yeah. with you a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Jamie. So yeah, great thank stuff. you so much. Of course. Thanks for coming on. And uh, yeah, we'll stay in touch. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. 